<clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad y'all made it here this morning out with us. We are still journeying our way through the Bible, and today we have made it to King Solomon. Uh, let's, uh, let's open up together in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you for that next generation. Father, we thank you for the kids. Father, we thank you for working on everyone's hearts, regardless of age, young and old. Father, we thank you for new life, new birth. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. Father, we ask that during this hour that we study your word, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds and ears and, and help us to see what it is that you are trying to tell us through the scriptures in a way that we can, we can embrace it and apply it to our lives. We love you, Father, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, quick recap, and I promise I'm going to make it quick. We started off with Adam and Eve, then we had the fall, then we had a promise of redemption, then we had them in Egypt as slaves, then we had their exodus where God rescued them from Egypt, then we had them wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, then we had the period of the judges where there was no king and everybody just did whatever they wanted, then we had the period of the kings which we are getting about to wrap up the United Kingdom. The first king's name was, come on, help me out, Saul. Saul was replaced by David. And then David, we see we're coming to the end of his life today. And so his son, Solomon, will be the next to sit on the throne. Those are the only three who will actually reign during a period of a united kingdom. And then at the end of Solomon's reign, the kingdom is divided into two Israel in the north, and Judah in the south. So, three important kings to know about. Saul, David, and today, Solomon. Saul rejected God. Oh, well, the people rejected God as king, and, and so they were given Saul. Saul, his big thing, you know what his big story of his life is, is that when he sinned and was convicted by God about his sin, he was not repentant of his sin. He tried to justify his sin. He tried to act like why what he did was okay. He did not repent and, and turn from his sin from his heart like God put the next king on the throne did David. And so there's your comparison between your first king and your second king. David was one who repented from the heart. He, he was convicted. Solomon, or Saul was convicted by the prophet um, Samuel. And then David was convicted by the prophet Nathan. When David was convicted by Nathan, we see David repent. We, we read Psalm 51, his, his, his psalm of repentance, and he repented from the heart. So that leads us into Samuel. So starting in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel said to Saul, okay, well, sorry, I forgot I had this verse. What I just told you, is what we're looking at here. The reason why Saul was rejected, it says, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. So we see that God replaced Saul, who he promised, he said, 
It was at this time the Lord would have permanently established your reign, Saul, forever over Israel, but you have been rejected because God found a man after his own heart, David. It was because of David's heart that Saul was rejected and David was put in his place. Then we read in 1 Samuel sixteen seven, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his statue because, but stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. David pleaded with God to give him a heart and a spirit that would obey him. Remember that? God create. This is David, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. God create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. So God sent Samuel to rebuke Saul of his sins, but Saul justified himself instead of repenting from the heart. God sent Nathan to rebuke David of his sins. David repented with tears and sackcloth and fasting from his heart. So God shows us what he desires, genuine repentance of sins against him. God wants our hearts. That was two weeks ago, so now we're caught up. Mark twelve thirty. love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So now we come to Israel's third and final king as a united nation, Solomon. First Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon, As for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man. And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons guard their way to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. David is on his deathbed, and he has given Solomon his last words, his last advice. So you have to picture the situation. You can imagine that King David, on his deathbed, talking to Solomon, telling him that I'm about to die, he says, as for me, I'm going the way of all the earth. He gives him this advice. So you would say this is probably, in his mind, the most important advice he's going to give him. He knows this is his last words to him, and so he wants to make them count. Okay? And what does he say? He says, be strong and be a man. Now keep in mind who this is coming from. David, the giant slayer. We talked about him this morning in our Sunday school material. David... Before he slayed Goliath, the giant, he literally he, he, he kept over, watch over his flock and his sheep. And whenever a bear or a lion came to devour and carry away the lambs, David said, David said he went and grabbed them by the fur and killed them. Let that sink in for a minute. Go turn on the Discovery Channel for a minute. Think about lions and bears. Would you 
run up to a lion who grabbed one of your sheep and grab a hold of it and kill it with your hands. You wouldn't try but once. This is David. So when David, who then goes and slays Goliath, when he says, I want you to be strong and be a man, you think Solomon felt like he could live up to that standard? I don't think so. Not if he had in mind what most of us would have in mind when a man like David says, be strong and be a man. What, what are some things you think of? You don't have to say them out loud, but just, just think of in your head. In today's society, when, it's, when, when today's society talks about being a man, what, what does it mean? What's it look like? Imagine a bunch of men being men. Now, they've been men all day, okay? They, it's night, they come, they make a campfire. They're all sitting around the campfire talking about how manly they are and how, much, how they're more of a man than the other man, men. What do you think they're talking about? Probably not stuff they can come up here and stand behind this pulpit and talk about, is it? I mean, if we're just going to be honest, when society talks about being a man, usually those qualities... Those things that make a man a man are usually sinful, are they not? From our society's perspective. David said to Solomon, I want you to be strong and be a man. But thankfully for us and for him, David immediately went on to tell him what that looks like. What does it look like from the, from the giant slayer? What does it look like from the man who has killed lions and bears with his own hands? What does it look like from him, from his perspective, to be a man? He immediately says, And keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. So let that sink in for a second. Take that same group of men sitting around that campfire talking about how manly they are, which I, hey, don't get me wrong. I love sitting around a campfire. That's one of my favorite things to do, especially when the weather gets cold. I love it. But take that same group that society would create in the United States, that group, and have David come in and sit down beside them. And how do you think he's going to talk to those men about being a man? He's going to rebuke them and say, let me tell you something, that is nothing, that is not being a man. What you're saying you did last night or what you need to do to be a man, that has nothing to do with being a man. Let me tell you what being a man looks like. It's to obey God, to keep his statutes, to keep his ordinances, to keep his decree, no matter how difficult it gets in life. Was David the best example of this? No. We see how he failed. But we see when he failed, we saw his heart was to repent, turn from it, not to do it again and to come back to God. He was, David, the same man who the women sang about. Y'all remember that verse? 1 Samuel 18, 7. And they danced, the women, as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. This is a man who was by all the world's standards a man's man. And by all of the world standards, a woman's man, as we see plays out in his life. But on his deathbed, 
when he's talking to his son, he says, I want you to be a man, but I want you to be a real man. Don't do like I did. Don't stray from God's word. Don't live a sinful life. Follow God faithfully, no matter how hard it gets. Those were his last words on his deathbed. Follow God faithfully. Because in David's mind, that's what he wishes he would have done better. And I believe every one of us, when we get to that day, if we're lucky enough, we will look back and say, I wish I would have been more faithful. All of us. I don't think there's a single one of us that wouldn't say that at the end of our life. Because we see God is worth it. And we struggle in this sinful flesh until then. Thankfully, God will remove this flesh from us, give us glorified bodies, and allow us to live for him faithfully forever one day. And I'm looking forward to that. This is what it means to be like a man. Being a man means being like the man, the man, Jesus. It means that you should be strong, not cruel. There's a difference. It means you should be courageous, not a coward. It means that you should be protective, not abusive. It means that you should be loving, not distant. And it means you should be compassionate, not heartless. What a lot of these qualities that men think that they are such big men because they're heartless. And that is not what the Bible says it means to be a man. It means to be the opposite, to be compassionate. And most of all, or last of all, it means to persevere. It means to not give up until that day that God calls you home. That's what it looks like to be a man. Something that honestly cannot be done without the Holy Spirit of God living within you. It can't. You can't do it on your own strength. You can't. And Solomon knew this. In chapter 8, he said this. When Solomon finished praying this entire prayer and petitioned to the Lord, he got up from kneeling before the altar of the Lord with his hands spread out toward heaven. And he stood and blessed the whole congregation of Israel with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord. He has given rest to his people Israel according to all he has said. Not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us so that he causes us to be devoted to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances which he commanded our ancestors. You see that? And back up. He says, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us. May he be with us in our midst, in our presence, so that he causes us to be devoted to him, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances which he commanded our ancestors. Solomon realized, apart from the presence of God himself, we will not be devoted to following God like we should. We can't. We're too sinful. 
It's, James says it's our own evil desires that leads us away into temptation. That's what James says. Our own evil desires. We, us, you, me, we are sinful. We have evil desires. What makes something evil? If it's contrary to God. If you have a desire contrary to God's desires, it's not good, it's evil. That's, what, that's how you define it. I don't mean that you have to be the most heinous person. You don't have to be a, a, a murderous person that goes out and kills a bunch of people. If you desire something contrary to what God desires, that is defined as evil. Solomon knew that God's presence would cause us to be devoted to him, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments. He said, May my words with which I have made my petition before the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night. May may he uphold his servant's cause and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires. May all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands as it is today. Notice he asked, that may he uphold his servant's cause and the cause of his people, Israel, as each day requires. Solomon knew this was going to be a day-by-day journey with God. We would need his presence every single day to be able to do and get through the, the next day. And that we would have to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands, which is the command that David gave him as he was turning the kingdom over to him. Solomon said in verses 57 and 58, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us so that he causes us to be devoted to him. It is God's indwelling spirit who changes us into a new creation. Does that sound familiar? Something in the New Testament ring a bell here? Solomon said this thousands of years earlier. Here, We have in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. What does that mean? It means you're not the same old creation, are you? There's a change. There's a real change. It's not something that is theoretical. It's not something you just talk about. You really are made into a new person when Christ comes to dwell in you. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about a day when all of God's people will be changed by God and will be filled with God's Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. He said, I will give you a new heart, and I will place whose spirit within you? God's. God said, he will put my, I will put my spirit within you. God, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that one day that God would come and dwell in all his people. He would live within you. God's Spirit lives in us with our spirit. I sat down with another pastor and asked him a question about this, and I don't have all the, I don't have all the kinks ironed out or what, however the phrase goes. I don't have all my questions answered yet, 
but I'm working on it. I'm trying to develop my understanding of this. I asked, I asked him, um, what's, the, what's the difference between your spirit and your soul? Is there a difference? And the spirit that's in you, is it your spirit? Is it God's spirit? What is it? You know, I like, I like, like pictures. I like for a movie. You just show me how it works. You know, like explain all the details so I don't have any more questions. You know, I, I still don't have all the details worked out. I, I'm still, there's still some verses that I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly how to, to make it all work neatly. But one thing is clear. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, does in fact come to dwell within you. you your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, God says. The temple. He dwells within you. And He dwells within you along with your spirit. Your spirit, which if you ask me, like I said, there's still a few verses I still got questions about, but I, at this point, I talk about your spirit and your soul interchangeably. Now, there is a little bit of a difference, I think, because of a couple of verses. I can't quite figure out how to work them, but point is, you can't see it, so it's, you, you just got to read the scripture. And, and Anyways, if y'all can shed any light on this, I'd be welcome to hear it. But the point is, your spirit, your soul, let's just say your soul, your soul is who you are, okay? When you talk about your life is precious to you, right? I mean, doesn't everybody think that their life is precious? If I were to say to you, this is a thing by Ray Comfort, if I were to say to you, would you sell one of your eyes for a million dollars? There are people out there who would say yes. They would. Then the next question is, would you sell both eyes for two million dollars? most people would say no. Most people. There's probably a few out there that would do it anyways. Most people would say no. He then goes on to say, that's how precious your sight is to you. Isn't your life even more precious to you? How much more do you value your life than your sight? Because if you value your sight that much, of course you value your life far more, right? Because he'll ask people, do you care about your eternity? Do you care about whether or not you're going to go to hell? And most of them will say, I don't care. And Ray's like, that's not true. You value your life far more than you pretend to value your life. Your life is your soul. Your life is who you are. That's what's going to last for eternity. Your soul, your life, who you are, that's what's going to last forever. Either with God in heaven or separated from God in hell. Your soul is who you are. Your spirit, obviously tied to your soul, your spirit lives within you. God lives within you. The Holy Spirit, let's see, it's by God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you're able to put to death the deeds of the body. Another way to say that is that by the Holy Spirit, we're able to repent of sin. The Holy Spirit says that it's by the Spirit you're able to put to death the deeds of the body. The deeds of the body are, are, are actions that are contrary to what God wants you to do. That's your sinful flesh. Your sinful flesh wages war against the Spirit. Your sinful flesh causes you to want to do things that God doesn't want you to do. That's the deeds of the body. He didn't say if you can muster up enough to turn from sin. You don't read that in the Bible. If you can muster up enough strength to, to overcome sin, that's not how God says you enter into salvation. 
He said, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's what, that's what the Scripture says. And His Spirit doesn't replace our spirit or make our spirit non-existent. Okay? God's Spirit comes to dwell in you. It doesn't make your spirit disappear. He doesn't replace you with Himself. Your spirit lives in existence in your body with God's Spirit, along with God's Spirit. Romans 8, 12-17 says this, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. Did y'all see that? It says the Spirit, God's Spirit Himself, testifies together with our spirit. Both spirits live together in your body. Okay? I got a book um, full of quotes by A.W. Tozer. It was a gift I'm very thankful for. What that means is you will most likely hear a lot of quotes by A.W. Tozer. So I wanted to share one with you today. A.W. Tozer said this, But the Holy Spirit who inspired the Scriptures, will expect obedience to the Scriptures. It's very true. The Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of the Scriptures, the words and commands of the Scriptures, will also expect your obedience to those Scriptures. To live by the Spirit means to live by what He commands you to do and leads you to do. And he's going to command you to do and lead you to do the same thing that he's commanded all of us to do through these words. There's not a throwing out of the commands that God gave us with the new covenant of we're no longer under the law, we're under the Spirit. Yes, we are. We're under the Spirit who told us exactly what he expects from us. It's dangerous life to live your life and not know what this is. It's a dangerous life to go through this life convincing yourself that you're living according to the Spirit and by His guidance, but yet not reading what He's told us to do and how to live. That's important. If I can't get anything across to anybody as my time here as pastor, the one thing I want to get across to everybody as my time here as pastor when it comes to... uh, how you live your life or what you do, I want everybody to make it their habit of reading this word. Because humans make mistakes. I am temporary. I will only be here for so long. And I'm not right about everything. I think I am. Everybody does. If you thought you were wrong about something, you'd change your mind, wouldn't you? It takes a really stubborn person not to. Everybody believes they're right about everything they believe. Otherwise, they'd change their mind. I mean, does that make sense? But we all know we're all fallible, right? And none of us agrees on everything, right? 
So we know we got to be wrong about some stuff, right? So I'll be humble enough to stand in this podium and behind this pulpit and tell you, of course I think everything I'm teaching is right. Of course I think I'm right about the stuff I say. But I'm a fallible human. I could get something wrong every now and then. See how I said that? I could be wrong about stuff. But you know what can't be? This. Your job as disciples of Christ, your job is to weigh what I say from this pulpit against this. Not against how you feel. Not against what your parents taught you. Not against what your last preacher told you before I came in. Not against any person. Against this. How will you know if what I'm saying is true if you don't know what this says? How can you know? And that's a phrase I use a lot. We're not going to finish this sermon, but I'll go ahead and tell you. That's a phrase I use a lot. You can't recognize a lie unless you already know the truth. If you don't already know the truth, you can't recognize something as a lie. I always try to give an example, usually about my dog, so I'll swap it up and do it about my cats today. I could stand up here today and tell you I have six cats. I could stand up here and tell you I have seven cats. You're not going to know which one's the truth, which one's a lie, unless you already know the truth, right? And you say, well, what difference does it make? Who cares if you got six or seven cats? It doesn't make any difference to you whether I have six or seven cats. But it does make a difference to you whether or not I teach you that salvation is by faith alone or whether I teach you that salvation is by faith plus your works. Or whether I teach you that you once you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you can never be removed from salvation through the Holy Spirit. Or if I stand up here and teach you that once you're saved, you better watch your steps because you could be unsaved just like that. How will you know? How will you know? You can't unless you know this. Whose eternity is at stake when you die? Yours. Is my eternity at stake when you die? No. Whose eternity is at stake when you die? Yours. How much do you care about your life? How much do you care about your eternity? Read this. Study this. Know it. Memorize it. When you read something and you say, I don't understand how that can be, don't just sweep it under the rug. Struggle with it. Wrestle with it. You ever heard the term wrestling with the Scriptures? Wrestle with them. Why? Because it's so important. I'm not, it's not about giving you a quiz and f- determining whether or not you're a member of this church. I'm not going to say, okay, every year you, your membership is up for renewal. You have to come up here every year and I give you a pop quiz over the Bible. If you pass, you can be a member. If you fail, you're no longer a member. I 
I'm going to say this, and it, I probably shouldn't, and I'll probably take it out on, when I post it online. Every, every, it seems like every sermon I preach, it seems like there's always something I wish I didn't say. This one, I'm not so sure it's going to come across very well, but I feel like it's important. I'm afraid. I'm convinced. I'm not afraid. I'm afraid and convinced. I'm just convinced. There are countless, countless Christians all across this country that if you told them that they had to pass a test to be a member of a church or to do whatever, they would read and study the Bible more than if they didn't think they had some test to take. And that's frightening. Because the biggest test of your life is when you pass away from this earth. You will stand before a holy God who will determine whether or not you spend eternity with Him or not. And we act like it's no big deal. Oh, well, the preacher told me all I got to do is say a prayer and come down and get baptized. So I'm good. I'm golden. I don't ever want anybody to have that mindset. I don't ever want anybody to come through these doors and think that there's something they can do, some some ritual that they can perform that's going to seal them for eternity and I'm going to convince them of so and then they're going to walk out of here lost and never even pursue getting saved because they just convinced that they're saved. I want everybody who comes through these doors to know you are saved through personal, yours, not anybody else's, personal faith, which is trust in Jesus Christ alone. And the Bible gives a test for that faith. James teaches, if that faith is genuine, real, he actually says saving. If that faith is saving faith, it will result in a changed life. Because you will have the Holy Spirit who will change you into a new creation. He will give you a new heart. And He will cause you to want to follow Him. And He said, a way you can test that faith if it's not real is if there is no change. There is no obedience. There is no desire to follow God and obey Him. And that's what James says. Just look at your life. Has there been a genuine change from your heart? Or did nothing happen in your heart and you just wanted to be reassured that you'd be saved when you died? There's a huge difference. A relationship with God or no relationship with God. It's either real or it's phony. It's real or it's fake. And I don't want anybody to ever come through these doors and be confused about that. God wants you. Your heart. You. Your soul, who you are. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to do ritual service. He doesn't want you to just come to check off your boxes at church. He wants you. Do you love him with your heart? Do you love him with all your heart? Have you asked him to forgive you? And to come live within you and change you and make you into a new person. Is there any evidence in your life that you have been changed by God? 
that he's made you into a new creation, that he's come to live within you and help you to put sin behind and to walk in faithfulness. Is there any evidence of that? Is there any fruit? That's what the Bible calls fruit. Is there any fruit that you can point to and say, let me show you the fruit that God's been doing in me. We obviously don't have time to finish, but grab your bulletin because all the verses are there. You can go home during this week. You can read them. But it's God's indwelling spirit who changes us into a new creation. And I want to I just mention the last point. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is found in 1 Kings 11. It said, When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon was, who gave us so many proverbs. He gave us so many wise sayings. The wisest and the richest man on the planet, when he got old, when he grew old, he turned away from following God with his heart. He started worshiping other gods, the gods of his wives. He had a lot of wives, a thousand, matter of fact. Said he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And he worshipped and built altars for their gods and worshipped their gods. He was led to worship Asherah and built Asherah poles and Baal and serve these false gods. The same gods that God drove all the people out for. When he grew old, he turned from following God and he started worshipping all these other gods. And that is a sad, sad verse. His love for women became greater than his love for God. And so I want to give some reminders to all everyone here. For those who are young, I want to tell you be strong. If you're a man, be a man. If you're a woman, be a woman. A godly man and a godly woman. Persevere to the end. And if you're older, I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't serve God your whole life and then at the end of your life think you've got a free pass. Oh, I've obeyed God my whole life. I've got all this good behind me. I get a free pass to live and do whatever I want to do now that I'm old. Why? Why would you work so hard to live your whole life pleasing to God because you love Him, and then at the end of your life, throw it all away? You're so close. And I know it's, it's probably inappropriate for me, a young person, to say that to an older person, but you're so close to meeting your Maker. It's true. Every one of us. All of us will grow old, and the older we get, the closer we get to meeting God. Don't throw it away. And when you're young, don't think, oh, I've got my whole life to make that decision. I've got my whole life to eventually settle down and give my life to Christ. No, you don't have any idea. You have no idea how long you're going to live. No clue. So if you're young, be strong. Don't give up. 
persevere to the end. And if you're old, be strong. Don't give up and persevere to the end. Because our life, no matter how long on this earth, our life is extremely short in comparison to eternity. Extremely. A hundred years is just a in light of billions of trillions of years. Don't give up. He's worth it. God is worth giving up everything this world has to offer. Solomon, he went for the hook. He went for what the world had to offer. Primarily, it says the love of women and the love of other gods. He, he took the bait. It's not worth it. Don't give up. Would you please join me in our closing song? A song that, in essence, based on what we just talked about, is I don't want anything but you, Jesus. This is how we should live our lives. Would you stand with me? Saul, we learn not to try to cover up and justify our sin. David, we will learn that repentance has to come genuinely from the heart. You have to mean it. And with Solomon, we see never give up. Life is short. Don't give up. Because our Savior is worth it. And what he has planned for you and me in the life to come, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has even conceived of. It's going to be far greater than your wildest imaginations. He is worth it. And what he has planned for us is worth whatever we have to face on this earth. Don't give up. And don't give in to what the world has to offer. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. Father, help us to recognize our sin as what it is, sin against you. Father, help us to genuinely repent from the heart, to mean it when we say that we are sorry and that we are turning from that sin and leaving it behind us. And Father, to give us the perseverance and the strength to never give up. We love you, Father. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.